My name is Cindy Burnett, and I am the host of the Thoughts from a Page podcast, which is now a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. Each episode, I interview authors about their latest works. For more book recommendations, check out my earlier episodes and my website, thoughtsfromapage.com, and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Thoughts from a Page and on Twitter at burn555555. Today, I am interviewing Danielle Martin about Glimmer As You Can. Danielle started her professional career as an assistant with the William Morris Agency before pursuing a degree in teaching. She previously worked as a special education teacher in New York, Pennsylvania, and Louisiana. Currently, she works as a freelance writer and teacher near New Orleans. Born in Putnam County, New York, and raised by two generations of native Brooklynites, her depictions of the boroughs of New York were informed by her childhood experiences, family accounts, and a love of city history. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome, Danielle. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you. I'm so glad you're here to talk with me about Glimmer As You Can. I'm so pleased to be here with you. Thank you. I've been listening to other episodes, and I just love your podcast. Well, I always like hearing that. Why don't we start out with you telling me a little bit about Glimmer As You Can? So Glimmer As You Can is an early 1960s New York City-based story of three women whose lives intersect at a late-night social club in Brooklyn Heights. And the book explores the dynamic between these women as well as their complicated personal and professional identities. Well, I'm so curious how you came up with the subject matter for this and then became interested enough to want to write about it. So it has a long backstory. Actually, I originally based the idea off something I had written down, I believe it was 2004, and I was in film school and trying to come up with different ideas for short films and short stories, and I kept this ideas portfolio at the time. Meanwhile, I had a conversation with a family member who had just told me about his interesting trip to a late-night barber shop in Brooklyn, and I was fascinated with this idea of something that happened at night that was unconventional, bringing together people in the neighborhood on a street that might otherwise be quiet in this commercial district. And so this image was percolating in my head on and off for years. And then I guess it was about 10 years later, I was looking to write a novel that focused on women. And I took this idea of the late night barbershop and I turned it into a dress shop that turned into a late night social club. So it was an evolution of an idea, really. And I wanted to write about women's experiences in that era. I've always been fascinated with the 60s, but I found that I was usually thinking of the wilder times in the late 60s, And I wanted to learn more about the early 60s, that juncture between this sort of tamer 50s and the crazier later 60s. And I just started doing research and I wanted to build that bridge between the eras. And so that's where Glimmer As You Can comes in. If you look at the cover, there's an actual bridge you can see. And so I view that bridge as a sort of metaphor also of transitioning between these two eras. And that's really what I want the 
book to convey this idea of movement, excitement, danger, and intrigue. Well, Danielle, since you listen to my podcast, you probably know I always ask about the cover. That's one of my very favorite things to know about. So that's interesting on yours because I think that's such a fascinating time period, the early 1960s, for the reasons you just described, sort of this bridge between a much more tame conservative time period to kind of the end of the 60s when everything was just going crazy. And so it's an interesting time and to understand exactly the different factors that contributed to that. But I hadn't thought about the bridge on your book also kind of being for that too. That's really cool. Yeah, thank you. I can't say that I had any input into picking that particular location, but when they showed it to me, I said, of course, this captures it. And also the women, while they're wearing 1960s clothing, of course, but there's this dynamic you could sense between them on the cover, this sort of intangible not knowing what's going to happen. And they're entrusting their futures to each other in a way in this idea of knowing that so much rides on their friendships, really. And and it's a book about friendship. That is one of the main themes that you'll find in this book. I think the women look like they're sort of in cahoots, like they've got a secret, but just more like a friendship secret, not a deep, dark secret they have to uncover, but more like they're having fun together and they just enjoy each other. Right. And that's what the Starlight, which is the social club in the book, is all about enjoying each other, having a great time, letting themselves be free. And there were so many restrictions put on women during this time. I mean, it could be a whole podcast or 20 podcasts just on the restrictions that women were dealing with during that time. But the idea that women could just communicate in a way where they weren't restricted to only talking about certain things that women should be talking about, for example, or just a general relaxed environment where they could go and dance and they could write poetry and they could do art and they could talk about intellectual ideas without being judged. They could talk about their professional struggles and they could even talk about their personal struggles. And they do all of the above at the starlight, which is, again, a sort of metaphor for freedom, for liberty, for just letting yourself be you. And I think Even though it's about the early 60s, I think we can bring it to now. And I think that readers can come away from the book feeling like they too want to find this core group of women friends that they can be themselves with if they don't already have that, right? So I think some of us might have that. Some of us might not have that kind of group of friends. Or maybe it's an ideal. Maybe it's just something we look for people who we could truly be ourselves with. Who are happy to listen to what we have to say and bounce ideas off of it. And like you said, just enjoy spending time together. Right, right. And have it be an environment where there's little to no conflict, which is interesting. The sort of ringleader of the starlight, who's the owner of it, Madeline, she swoops in as soon as there's any sense of drama. She wants everything to be 
friendly, enjoyable, light and airy at the starlight, even though they're sometimes facing deeper and darker, more difficult issues. She wants the general environment to be one of just bonhomie of celebration. And that's another goal, moving toward that. How do you reconcile differences of opinion? You have the women, they're arguing over things going on in the news. They're talking about that. Some of the characters get a little uncomfortable with that and have to leave when the other women start arguing. But even though they're arguing... It doesn't mean they hate each other. They're just trying to hash out their ideas. They move forward. They're still friends at the end. But they get through to each other in a way that is just magical. I think that's what the starlight is. It's a type of magic. (laughs) So we need to send our entire country to the starlight. Right, right. That's what it is. If people could learn to have those conversations now and realize that we are going to have difference of opinions, how boring would it be if we didn't? But that there's got to be calm, measured, reasonable discussions versus all this ranting. Right. And trying to find out why the other person feels why they do. But yeah. So the women here, they also struggle with as I've talked about, some of their own professional issues. And so the starlight doesn't make up the whole book. It's probably about 50%. You see them dipping in and out. But then there's also insights into industries that women were trying to break into. For example, Elaine, who is trying to eventually work as a reporter, But during that period of time would have been very difficult, especially at a prestigious newspaper, to achieve reporter status. So she starts off as a fact checker. And so we see, oh, yeah, a lot of the fact checkers are women, maybe all of them, because that's a job that they would have been accepted into. Their names aren't on the front page. So it was okay, right? But Elaine is bright. She's very intelligent. She could do more than that, but that's the job she's put into. And so we see her in that newsroom. And then there's Lisa, who is a stewardess for Pan Am. Lisa was a fun character to write. I've always wondered about what it might be like to be a flight attendant, especially one in the early 60s. So I enjoyed writing about her travels, but also her difficulties. And I wanted to show that everything that might seem to be glamorous might not actually be completely glamorous. So I showed some of the darker underbelly of trying to maintain this flight attendant image that would have been posted on billboards at the time. These Flight attendants were shown smiling in their blue uniforms and supposed to be the pinnacle of the skies, basically. So, and then we have Madeline going back to her. She was the owner of the dress shop. And I wanted to show some of her professional struggles in trying to establish herself as a woman in a world that made it very difficult for female business owners to the point where many were not even necessarily allowed by their landlords to have leases in their own name. Or loans. 
Yeah, or lungs. Yeah, which was a fact that I hadn't considered before writing the book. Writing this book about the early 60s, I think when we look back at the 20th century, it feels very segmented into these different decades. And each decade has its own personality in a way. And because each decade was so full of change and so different from the next decade, I think sometimes maybe we sort of separate our conception of time into feeling further apart than it was. So to that end, women's suffrage and the 1920s was not really that far away from the early 60s, even though in a way they feel so different playing in maybe the newsreels of our minds. And so the amount of change, struggle, and progress that had to be made in the intervening years, but hadn't, of course, resolved itself in that 45-year period. That's something that it was interesting to take a look at in the book. Starting in the 1960s or throughout that decade, I do think there is a seismic shift. People think, okay, the 60s revolutionized everything, but it didn't at all. I mean, it didn't help a lot with racial issues or women's issues, but other things happened. The number of people that were assassinated and sending somebody to the moon and the shift from the early 60s to the late 60s, early 70s, the Vietnam War. I mean, I do think it's a very pivotal decade, but not for the issues that you're talking about. Right. And I think that I know at least for years when I thought of the 60s, a lot of my images were based in maybe the pop culture of the 60s, the music, the long hair, the pill bottoms, the the freedom calls of the later 60s. And I think there was so much amazing music going on to a slightly different topic, but so much amazing culture and art coming out of that era that, yeah, sometimes some of these issues get obscured by that. And I think maybe, yeah, as you said, yeah, we think of that era as maybe affecting some more change than it actually did. There was so much change, but yeah, it has, there's a lot of layers, a lot of layers. Right. There was a lot of change, but not necessarily a change in every area. Right. And I do think it's like the first time, really the first time prominently that music was being used to make a point and to press back with the war. That doesn't mean that it brought everybody else forward. And it's interesting on the Pan Am topic, I have found throughout my whole life that like when I first learn about some issue that's new to me, then all of a sudden I see it everywhere. There's a great book coming out about Pan Am stewardesses called Come Fly the World, and it comes out in March. And so I read it maybe a month and a half ago. Then I interviewed Lisa O'Halloran Schwartz, whose story was set in Bangkok and was on the flip side of that, that all of our soldiers who came from the war in Bangkok kind of changed the whole dynamic of that city. And this whole Pan Am book had to do with first women and how their jobs as stewardesses really kind of helped us being able to travel around the world by ourselves. Like that wasn't a thing before all these women were stewardesses, but also how much Pan Am contributed to the Vietnam War. And so I thought it's just kind of funny, all these things sort of start to interlink because you're talking about a Pan Am stewardess in your story also. Right. Yeah. Sometimes you just see something and it appears everywhere. It's amazing. 
And I think certain things just kind of bubble to the surface. I loved that idea because I do think sometimes there are stereotypes about stewardesses, now flight attendants. The idea that these women actually really did pave the way for a lot of us to be able to travel on our own and with our friends or our children or whatever, but not always having to be accompanied by a man. And it's sort of the same idea of this shop owner too, that she couldn't even sign a loan or a lease by herself. And that's just hard for us to fathom. And that really isn't that long ago. Right, right. And I love that idea that you were talking about of female stewardesses paving the way for independent female travel, because I guess in a way, I maybe subconsciously was considering that in terms of Lisa in the book, who has a difficult relationship. She's also young, so she's fairly naive, but she is trying to escape from Brooklyn, even though she loves Brooklyn, but she's trying to find something new, experience something new, get out of her parents' shabby apartment and venture out on her own. So I think that there's a lot in this book that relates to perceived freedom or idealized freedom versus what was actually available at the time. And also which entanglements could intrude upon the freedoms that women were gaining. And so I think the male characters in this book are also symbolic in different ways of different struggles that women would have faced during that time. So I really perceive of each character in this book as a symbol of one kind or the other. For the male characters, one of the characters is an alcoholic and the other is a corrupt politician and the other is a young man who is related to someone in politics. And so I wanted to also explore that underbelly of what happens when women were and even are in entanglements with politicians. So that is a thread in the book. What happens when that politician does wrong and what happens to the woman in that scenario? And I think that's something I've always been curious about. Even When I started writing the book, I feel like there were a lot of news stories about politicians and cheating and what they had done. And I would always wonder about the women. The women never got reported on in the same way. Like, oh, why were they still staying with these men? I always wondered. And then I started thinking maybe it wasn't so easy. I mean, even now and especially then. Uh, So that's explored in the book, too. Everything's so public. And so if you have that kind of relationship, you're just out there for the world to see. I've thought that often too. And you you know there's more going on behind the scenes than we're hearing. Right. And you wonder in which way the woman is trying to preserve the relationship for the sake of her husband's career versus because it would be too difficult for her to strike out on her own because of the fallback. There are so many unanswered questions. I don't think there's any way any of us could know about each person's circumstance or reasoning or their whole life story. But that's where fiction comes in, right? (laughs) And that's sort of the intrigue of historical fiction, too, to get into these 
headspaces that the history books leave out, right? You sort of set the stage for the ingredients of what was happening during the era, and you fill in those blanks and explore them and try to create paradoxically a more realistic experience than might be experienced just through the pages of a textbook. I think characters get brought to life a lot more in historical fiction. So it is going to be more empathetic and more in-depth read in terms of the characters versus the actual story or the actual history. Right. Yeah. And it's a way of feeling less distanced from the past and understanding maybe how we connect more to events that have taken place that might seem so far away. So it's so important to me really to keep representing those stories in different ways and to keep reading them and discussing them. I like that. That's a good way to look at it. Tell me a little bit about your title, Danielle, and how you decided on Glimmer As You Can. The title really originated from one scene where Lisa, the Pan Am flight attendant, has just visited the starlight for the very first time, and she's infused with the exhilaration and excitement of this experience. It was a transcendent experience for her to be in this room with women who were just so free and liberated and enjoying themselves. And as she exits the building, she's walking down the sidewalk and there's the New York City streetlights glittering off the sidewalk. And I was just picturing this scene in my mind, envisioning how someone in their young 20s (laughs) might have realized that things might be better than they thought, how the world could be better and brighter, even with the difficulties. And so as she exits, she's glimmering in her own way. And the title is also used several times throughout the book, which is something I love to do. I love to put (laughs) insert the title into the text somewhere. I always prefer that than when I get done with a book and I'm like, I don't exactly understand why this book is called what it is. Right. (laughs) You're like, where'd that come from? (laughs) Like, I read that whole book and I still don't understand the title. I know. And I I didn't realize until I've been friends with authors that sometimes the title is not decided by the author. I was disappointed when I learned about that. Yeah. Yeah. When I hear Starlight, I keep thinking about Ellen Stardust Diner in Manhattan. Have you ever been there? I've seen the sign many times, (laughs) but it's funny. It sort of just was in my subconscious maybe, but no, I've never been there. Well, and it's different enough. But for some reason, when I hear Starlight, it makes me think of the Stardust Diner. She was a Miss Subway years ago, and then she formed this diner. And she, I, I don't know if she performed on Broadway, but she was a performer. So now it's this kind of diner deli and all these people that either want to be on Broadway or sometimes are between shows on Broadway will just perform throughout the meal. And it's really fun. And there's always a long line to get in there. But for some reason, those two are just kind of connecting in my mind, which is a good thing. Oh, yeah, that sounds like a fun place. (laughs) I have another place on my list to visit now. That sounds great. When we can get out of this pandemic and places like that are open, it will be very fun. Before we wrap up, I would love to hear what you've read that you really liked. Well, I'd love to talk about historical fiction a little bit. So I really enjoyed The Queen's Fortune by Alison Pataki, 
which I really have to say before reading that book, the Napoleonic era was never something that really stood out in my mind. I never really was interested in investigating it further until I read this book. And I was just blown away by the detail and how she just captured the chaos of the era. Something I think maybe we can appreciate a little bit more now after all the chaos we've experienced. And I was reading it, I actually read it in December, early January. So it was all just coming to, I was like, oh my gosh, human civilization (laughs) and the chaos. (laughs) And it was fascinating for me too, because now I live in Louisiana and I was struck by all of the names of places that were French (laughs) that I hadn't really connected. So a great book, really great book, very immersive and educational, enlightening, but sweeps you away. So I loved it. I haven't read her before, but I see her name out there because I read so much historical fiction, but I have not ever read any of her books before. Yeah, it was really, really well done. I love that. And another book who actually, it's also out by Alcove, my publisher. This book just came out. It's called Glamour Girls by Marty Wingate. And so it's the story of British women during World War II who are flying airplanes as a part of the war effort. They're delivering planes. And so that was another immersive historical piece into an era that I hadn't given much thought to. I mean, I've thought a lot about the World War II era, but what about the women who were serving as a part of the war effort in Britain? That's It was fascinating. And also an emotional read Definitely cried, definitely cried. I'm also in the middle of reading The Exiles by Christina Baker Klein. And I've heard so much about her and what an amazing writer she is. And I've just been really blown away by this book. And again, bringing the reader into a completely rich and textured scene and the intensity and devastation of that period was not something that I had been able to imagine to the extent that she portrays it. So very well done. I think that's probably the number one listed book when I ask people for their recommended reads. It's got to be up there in the top three at least. Is it? Yeah. I really, really appreciate your time, Danielle, and I'm so glad you joined me on the Thoughts from a Page podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. A pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you liked this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts From A Page. Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. Danielle's book can be purchased at the Conversations From A Page bookshop storefront or at Murder by the Book, and both links are in the show notes. I hope you'll tune in next time. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher? 
or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. Thank you.